When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Spectrum One is a big deal. You get Spectrum Internet with the most reliable internet speeds, free advanced Wi-Fi for enhanced security and privacy, and a free Spectrum Mobile Unlimited line with nationwide 5G included. All while saving big. For the big speed, big reliability, and big savings you want, get Spectrum One. Just $49.99 a month for 12 months. Visit spectrum.com slash big deal for full details. Offer subject to change. Valid for qualified residential customers only. Service not available in all areas. Restrictions apply. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. Go behind the wheel and under the hood on everything automotive with high-speed stuff from howstuffworks.com. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benjamin, an auto editor or the auto editor here at HowStuffWorks.com, and I'm joined by... Ben Bolin. I'm a video writer here at HowStuffWorks. And Scott, I think you're being a little too modest when you forget to add the V there. <laughs> well, I'm the only one right now. Yeah, you're kind of like a, yeah. a maverick. Do I say that too often? Uh, probably. Hey, I was thinking of this other one, Scott the Barbarian Benjamin. Oh. I know, but you're so you're so nice to people <sighs> the that barbarian. I need you to do more barbaric things. Why don't you just... How about Ben the Terrible Bolin? <laughs> So you've been talking to my mother. <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, we'll have to, well, we'll throw around some more. We'll throw around some more. Yeah, uh, the barbarian, I don't think I'm, uh, I mean, you I know, know, I, I just, Ben, I, you've probably seen, I mean, mm. I am powerfully built, but, um, <laughs> not, uh, not to that extreme, not a barbarian, you know. Well, you, you know, you're, you're sophisticated, <laughs> I imagine as well. So it evens out. I hope everybody knows I'm kidding. I couldn't. Or what, is he? What? Or is he? We've got listener mail, actually, that'll go into that, but um, Mm -hmm. I've got, actually, I've got to tell you, I know I came in in a little bit of a rush, and I seemed kind of crazy, and Mm -hmm. sort of demanded that everything stop until I get some coffee, Mm -hmm. and that's because I had a very strange schedule today, and I was in a hurry, and Scott, I was in a hurry in traffic, which is one of the worst places to be in a hurry. Correct. And uh, I thought, at first I thought, man, if I just had a helicopter or a plane of some sort... I realized that wouldn't be fast enough. Flying car. Touche, my friends. A yeah. uh, flying car, if I'm in that much of a rush, <laughs> I probably would not drive safely. And don't open up that can of worms, by the way. I, we are not, we're going to leave you done? those worms in you, the can. Yeah, that's okay. But what, what, would, what would we do? That's what we should talk about today. What is faster than a plane, faster than a, a car? What could I do if I'm in a hurry? I guess you could go uh, supersonically. Supersonically? Yeah, you could go supersonically. Is that some sort is of that band a, reference? I don't know. I guess you can go supersonic. Yeah, they do supersonic car testing out in the deserts. Sure. Um, okay. We've talked about that. Yeah, sure. But there was a supersonic plane you could have taken as well. Um, no longer in, uh, I guess, rotation. It's oh, retired. You know yeah. what I'm talking about, right? You're talking about the Concorde. The Concorde, yeah. This 
awesome plane, Concorde. And uh, actually, we've got a couple of listeners that wanted to hear about the Concorde, so I think this is a per- perfect opportunity to do that. Yeah, let's hear from them. All right, so let's uh, let's get into these letters here. Um, we've got one from uh, longtime listener Constantine, and that comes from uh, no- early November. Okay. And uh, Constantine just simply says, please do an episode on the Concorde. Short and sweet, yeah. Short and sweet. And we've got another one that came in later in the year. And this one is from Clayton from St. Charles, Illinois. And Clayton, who wrote in at the end of December last year, said that, um, I really love the podcast. Wondering if you guys could do a show about the Concorde airplane. I know it's fast and really cool to look at, but that's about it. So hopefully, you know, we can go into a little bit more detail about it. So um, let's just give this kind of a general approach here and see where we go. And I'm sure it'll head a lot of different directions, but um, yeah, should well, be fun. To, to quote Lewis Carroll, let's start at the beginning, okay. kind of see our way through the middle and stop once we hit the end. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> all right, plan. so uh, maybe just for a quick overview, if we could encapsulate this, what's the difference between your garden variety airplane and a Concorde? I've already given it away. Supersonic flight. Supersonic flight. This, this thing flew at Mach 2 which was, uh, what is Mach 2? That's something like 1,400 miles per hour, I think is what it is. Um, it's 13, over 1,000. It's like 1,350 miles per hour is what the uh, the cruising speed of this thing was. So it was able to make uh, flights in incredible, uh, just short amounts of time uh, mm-hmm. over the Atlantic. It was a transatlantic flight uh, meant to reduce the time between, let's say, um, New York and London and, you know, of course, back as well, mm-hmm. and New York and Paris and back. And uh, it did make several other flights, you know, like maybe down to Barbados and mm-hmm. um, a few other charter flights. But those were the main routes were New York to London, New York to Paris, and then, of course, the, the flight back as well. Yeah, and let's be absolutely clear, this is a commercial flight route that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So this wasn't, this wasn't like your, your normal jets where they're a pilot, a co-pilot or something. This, no. They had... A cargo full of passengers. Yeah, that's right. They had um, 100 up to 100 passengers. They had nine crew members for those 100 passengers, the the uh, including the pilots. Um, it, it was just a a remarkable plane. I mean, it was able to, to make the crossing, and I believe you know what I'll look this up in just a moment because we'll sure. get to it. But um, I believe it's just over three hours. Uh, it would be able to make the the same the flight across the Atlantic. Wow. So um, you're talking about an extremely fast plane, a very efficient way to get there. But I think what it was really a status symbol. It was really all about the, the service and just the exclusivity of saying that you were able to fly in the Concorde. Um, I don't know how many times the speed came into it. Of course, that's a nice side benefit that it's, sure. it's extremely fast. But it did have this um, uh, this mystique about it, this uh, this presence that, you know, I've flown on the Concorde. It was a, it was a very prestigious thing to be able to say. Mm-hmm. You, were, uh, you could receive a certificate that was signed by the captain. Um, and several other people. I don't remember who else was on that that uh, certificate as well. But uh, it was very expensive, and uh, again, very fast and very exclusive. Even though they made several flights, um, well, several thousand flights in the lifetime of the plane, um, it still remained an exclusive flight because it was just out of reach of normal. Mm-hmm. I, I want to say normal, but average people people with average income. If you if you travel coach. Uh, not because you're trying to save money, but because that's what you can afford. Odds are you could not afford to ride on the Concorde. No, in fact, you know what? I, I found some information about the price of the tickets. Oh, was, man. All right, this is going to hit me. Go ahead. Are you, okay. <laughs> I'm ready. And this is this is information that was uh, just kind of gathered in uh, on fan sites here oh, and there. You know what, Scott, before we do it? Yeah. 
let's do the time, the career of the plane. Oh, the plane. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, I believe that it was uh, – the first flight was in around 1969. Okay. Er, early 1969. Those were kind of test flights. Those were uh, just getting getting the thing, you know, the, getting the legs, I guess. Hmm. It was right around 19 – I want to say 76 okay. that it went into, um, you know, a routine flight pattern between uh, New York and – London, New York, and Paris. Um, I, I believe it's 1976. It might have been. It might have been as early as 1974. Um, again, it's in my buried in my notes here. I'll so in the heyday of the it. 70s. Yeah, in the heyday of the 70s, and it and it was retired. Get this, not until 2003. So this thing flew until 2003, late 2003. I, I for some reason had pictured this thing being um, retired early in the nine or mid 90s. I thought reason. it was. Yeah, I thought it was around a little bit before the Atlanta Olympics or something. Yeah, no, it was. Uh, it was 2003. Was when this thing was finally retired. Huh. So um, again, a lot, lot longer of a, a lifespan than I thought that it had. But um, okay. so when surprising. we do the when we do the price of a ticket, then we don't really have to make a large calculation for inflation or something. This isn't like 1902 dollars. No, no, no. This this is uh, 1980s and 1990s dollars, though. So there is some adjustment that would be need need to be made because we're talking about, well, close to 30 years now. All right, I'm ready. Well, I'm 30 ready. years. You ready? Yes. Now, again, this is just gathered via fan sites, but I was seeing prices that ranged anywhere between eight. And eleven thousand dollars. Oh, thousand! I was nodding my head at first. I was <laughs> you, were gonna, going, you thought I was going to say eleven hundred? Oh yeah, I was thinking. Okay, okay, because it's a nice, it's a nice no, jet. Between eleven thousand dollars. Between eight and eleven thousand dollars was just kind of the, uh, the that was a kind of an average that I found. I'd say. Do you um, get to take a piece of the jet home with you for eleven thousand dollars? No, but you did get exceptional service while you were on the. Yeah, on they the better plane. sign a certificate. It was. Uh, I mean, it was. It was first class all the way. It was five mm. star. Um, it, beautiful i mean unbelievable meals were served to you mm-hmm. um you know i don't know how many courses the meals were but sure uh, but obviously gourmet quality of course yeah you have your own you have private a private area of some sort i imagine you're in a first class equivalent uh equivalent yeah because it had four it was a very narrow um fuselage so it had uh two seats on either side um you know very wide comfortable seats mm-hmm. it only sat 100 people and this is a big airplane um, yeah but it was very uh, small it's a small i guess if you want to say it this way the tube where mm-hmm. the people sat are uh, the passenger area the passenger area is very very small um, huh. compared to what you would expect on you know a, a big airliner that's going to make a trip this fast mm-hmm. um you know it's just an interesting thing to, to note that you know it, between eight and eleven thousand dollars eleven thousand in the 80s and 90s i would th- and i have seen people say that you know on the for the last flight I would pay as high as this, and really? some of these numbers. Now I don't. I mean, maybe it's just talking, but they sure. said for the last flight of the Concorde, they would have paid as much as you know twenty five, thirty thousand dollars for that flight. Just be in that group of people to say you were the the last people to fly in the Concorde. Huh. So people were willing to pay for for this, and these are and these are people that had flown on it previously. Oh, okay. Who said I would I would pay twenty five thousand dollars for the experience again to say that I was the last. Right. On the that changes it a little. Yeah, yeah. They and they said it's worth every penny of of the money that they spent for it. I didn't find any any bad experiences. Sure. Um, of course, there was a very bad experience that happened in two thousand. But um, what I'm saying is that the people that that you know flew it successfully mm-hmm. uh, really enjoyed the flight, and uh, they would do it again. Did you catch that, guys? Yeah. Listening to the podcast, that was a little bit of foreshadowing. Yeah. But we're gonna we're not gonna go there yet. Okay. You, do you want to? I think maybe we should talk about some of the uh, 
Of the positives? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but yeah, because there's, uh, there's one, one negative that comes up here, but um, that's not the downfall of the plane, by the way. Not the downfall of the, uh, the service. Oh, yeah! So time for me to shuffle my notes. <laughs> <laughs> so it had it had some really unique features to it. Of course, it's a it's a extremely powerful jet. It flies at Mach two, mm. so there's a lot of uh, it flies at sixty thousand feet. Ben, this thing is capable of cruising at at sixty thousand feet. So it's above anything else. Yeah. Um. It's it has you know it doesn't have to worry about other vehicles in its flight path only mm-hmm. unless it's another SST another Concorde SST on a, on a similar pattern. Um. So. 60,000 feet, that's, that's pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. I mean, the average flight, the average service between New York and London at the time, uh, just a regular subsonic service, was right around seven or eight hours. That's mm-hmm. London to New York or New York to London. Um, again, this one was able to make it in, I just found my notes here, three, ah. three hours and 30 minutes was about the average time. There was a record run that was made in 1996. And in 1996... Um, the fastest ever time for crossing the Atlantic, which set by a passenger aircraft, was two hours and 52 minutes and 59 seconds. So you're talking a little less than two hours and 52, well, one second less than two hours mm-hmm. and 52 two minutes, mm-hmm. 53 minutes, whatever. There are movies that are longer than that. Yeah, that's I think right. is the point. Yeah, exactly. There, you couldn't even watch an in-flight movie if it was a long movie. At if that it point. was the director's cut of something. <laughs> exactly. So this is a remarkable plane. I mean, it's, it's mm. unbelievable. Oh, and just for comparison, right, um, a Boeing 747, mm-hmm. in terms of elevation, we're talking about 35,000 feet. So so for people who are wondering, 60,000 feet, what does that mean? That means you're almost twice as high in the air. You're 11 miles in the air, 11 miles above the surface of the Earth. So, um, I don't know, it's pretty pretty amazing. I, I think I believe you can see the curvature of the Earth at a certain point. And I know that I've, I've read things, and I don't have that in my notes here, but mm-hmm. I have read accounts of people flying that said they were able to see the um, see the sunset twice, because they were able to you catch up to the oh, sun weird. on your travel if you're traveling in the right direction. Oh, so, man. Um, pretty remarkable. Yeah, I mean, especially if they're serving booze on so the So the, the the sun would set, you'd take off, you'd head out, the sun would rise again, and then you would land, and the sun would set again. Oh, that's trippy. In the same day. That's yeah. Is it even the same day? We're verging on philosophy there. <laughs> I don't know. I guess it depends on what uh, flight, you know, or what international lines you'd pass. And right, like yeah, that. But, if you uh, pass the date line. Yeah. And the body is uh, noticeably different, too. If you saw this on the airport runway, yeah, you we, would... Yeah, we mentioned it was super narrow. Yes. It has a, a very unique um, kind of a wedge shape to it. Mm-hmm. Um, but one other thing is that crazy nose. A crazy nose. Okay, <laughs> now I know, I think I know what you're going to say that makes the nose different from, you know... Uh, average uh airplane or mm-hmm. non-jet airplane rather mm-hmm. um but i don't know why it's this way okay the uh the reason is they need a uh extremely pointed cone-shaped nose on this thing uh to be able to cut through cut through the air um the way that it does it can't have kind of the snub nose like we see on a lot of commercial jets it's very yeah. very rounded this one has to come down right to a very fine point at the front and for the the length that it needed to be uh to you know for it to be i guess stable at speed, uh, it had to be exceptionally long, and the pilot and co-pilot couldn't see over the nose when they were landing and taking off. So um, it gave them kind of this weird perception of where they were and how to, you know, it, it's a visual thing as well yeah. as as well as mechanical uh, when you're when you're landing and and taking off. And um, they they designed the nose of this thing to droop down. So when let's see, I'm trying to think of which one it was. I believe it's when the when they were uh, taking off. 
the nose could drop five degrees. And when they were landing, the nose could drop 12 and a half degrees for landing so they could see the runway in front of them. But, so uh, it could actually, it was movable. Yeah, it was movable. And it was actually capable um, of 17 and a half degrees, but they found out that the nose was going down too low. And there was just, a, I guess, a chance that it was uh, totally out of view. And it gave them just kind of a weird visual reference point that uh, just wasn't quite right you know it was, it was tough to figure out where that nose was that it's so far down now have you ever seen a concord in real life i have not i saw one when i was younger at um well i guess it had to be the new york a new york airport but my my uncle told me because I, I remember i'm pretty sure it was my uncle's either him or my father told me that these uh these noses moved because the pilots got in that way somehow that you know when the <laughs> no. that maybe the nose moved and it revealed us some sort of entrance a stairway and for years i thought that was the case <laughs> no. so anybody who has talked with a member of my family or someone else who thinks that's funny um you guys they're lying to you i think it's funny yeah, well yeah, it didn't happen to you i'm glad my childhood <laughs> trauma amuses you so mr benjamin oh uh, yeah it does it okay does. sometimes it does it's but yeah. oh, never mind okay well another thing that's different and <laughs> moving on this yeah, is something sure. I, I, they didn't lie to me about um mm-hmm. the concord's wing design are also pretty noticeably different yeah they are um because the the uh, air intakes and inlets are different they have this crazy set of uh of louvers that adjust and inlets and um mm-hmm. exhausts and uh at different speeds well do you, how much do you know about this because i know very little i'm just gonna I, give you a, I, a I know a little bit well hit me with it because okay. mine is so top level or high level that it doesn't really do yeah, much. i'll go down in the dirt good um okay a delta wing design that's what this is called and it reduces drag that's they have it this way mainly because just like the nose it's designed to reduce drag um, because with the way that a jet works and the speeds at which this vehicle is moving um, could be drastically reduced by mm. any sort of, you know, by a snub nose plane or yeah. by the conventional uh, wing design of a, again, conventional plane. So this delta wing design also uh, provides more lift for takeoff and landing, mm. again, at these high speeds because... When they're taking off, they're reaching those high speeds faster than a conventional airplane would. Okay, understood. Because I've, I've heard that the takeoff speed was way higher than... Yes, um, yeah. Even though you're, you're still talking about an airplane that, that's just like any other airplane. It's taking off on the same runway. It doesn't have mm-hmm. to take off in a shorter distance or anything like that. Um, it, its takeoff speed was something like... It was uh, 250 miles per hour, which is way above anything else that, that takes off these days um yeah. you know they they achieve that speed and more of course in the air but um takeoff speed 250 is that's pretty high that is um hope i didn't steal any thunder there but no and you know the other thing is yeah. i noticed that um the the tip of the of the aircraft gets extremely hot we were just talking about the nose of this thing yeah it gets extremely hot in flight and it says that it can reach up to 260 degrees fahrenheit uh, just due to the friction at that high speed. So when it's traveling at 1350 or 1400 mm-hmm. miles per hour, again, Mach 2, um, the, the, the tip of this airplane can be up to as much as 260 degrees. 
So extremely hot. Uh, I didn't so, think about that, but it makes sense when you think about yeah, it. Yeah, it does. I mean, just, it, just air friction. And, of course, everything about this plane is meant to be streamlined and smooth. Mm -hmm, and, and mm -hmm. I mean, this is you're talking about a, a needle nose point on this thing. So imagine if it was blunt. I don't know if it would even be able to achieve that speed, but can you imagine the friction and the heat that would be caused by something that was a little bit more blunt than that? So maybe here we segue into some of the less positive stuff there was a there was a single crash in its history and now there were over 20 20 of these built mm -hmm. and i believe oh, i'm straining my memory i think 14 of them went into service and the other six were distributed somewhere else they were prototypes things like that um one of these airliners crashed on uh july 25th in the year 2000 it was in france and it, it killed everybody on board, 100 passengers, nine crew members, and four people on the ground because it crashed into a hotel. A lot of people remember this flight. It's flight 4590. Uh, there's some amateur video of it that someone shot. It looked like they were traveling in a, in a car when they saw it uh, kind of go across the, uh, mm -hmm. the roadway. I don't know if you've seen this or not, but um, it, you can see the, the plane clearly struggling. It's got a ball of flame coming out from underneath it. Um, it travels all the way across, leaving this big black trail of smoke. And then uh, the next thing you see in the video is... Uh, just this huge plume of black smoke, but it's way off in the distance, and mm -hmm. you can see where it's hit the hotel. Um, it's yeah, it is terrible. Um, what happened was, and uh, this is, again, I, I think this is from uh, ConcordSST.com. Okay. Um, I think, I believe that came from this. Anyways, I got a bunch of information from a bunch of different places, but... Um, what they concluded was the cause of this accident was that there was a titanium strip that was... Um, part of another airplane that had taken off just minutes before the Concorde uh -huh. that had fallen off. It was part of a, uh, a uh, what was a reverser, a thrust reverser uh, from a, a DC-10 that was on the airstrip. And the Concorde, when it was taking off, it, it, it ran over that strip. The tire was immediately punctured, so it exploded. Mm -hmm. um, then a piece of rubber flew up and hit the fuel tank. The fuel, oh, tank, the fuel tank had what they called a... Um, uh, let me see. It's called a, a hydrodynamic shock wave, which means that you know the fuel shifted and actually broke the fuel tank open. The rubber, in the meantime, has hit an electrical line, which caused sparks. So that now the fuel tank is ruptured. There's sparks from this broken fuel, uh, broken electrical line. Mm -hmm. Of course, sparks and fuel don't mix, and uh, flames started. Now, once once that started, there's a fire alert, so the crew knew about it immediately. You know, they probably felt the tire explode as well. Um, and they tried to shut down the engine. They couldn't get the air, um, the uh, landing gear retracted in time. So they're just losing altitude, losing altitude. They can't get enough speed up, and uh, and that's when they crashed. Huh? Terrible. It is terrible. Terrible. And, but and here's the question. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, good. Good. Okay. Well, here's the question uh, that immediately becomes apparent, and we've talked about this before, Scott. The one of the biggest differences. Differences, excuse me, between a plane that goes this fast and, you know, a 747 or a DC-10 uh, is the ability to, or I'm sorry, the latitude you have in making decisions in crisis situations. Because if something went wrong with that jet and it's losing altitude, but it's still going faster than yeah. a DC-10. It's it's already past the point of no return on its mm -hmm. takeoff. It can't, it, it can't shut down. Um, they they had already lifted off. They were already going 250 miles per hour. Um, they're, they're doing everything they can. They tried to shut the engine down. They tried mm -hmm. to retract the gear. They tried to get it to climb. Uh, you know you know they were just going to circle right around and come right back. Mm -hmm. the, the thing is they did, they couldn't get that accomplished. It wasn't it wasn't possible. So um, I mean I hate to say what was and what wasn't possible. I'm no sure. 
aeronautics aeronautics engineer or anything but um it's I'm just going by the reports that I've seen. Mm. Um, it just wasn't possible for them to recover from that, so that's what happened. I Excellent mean, comparison. Yeah, it, it. If you get a flat tire in a car going 40 miles an hour, yeah, it's a lot easier to pull over safely than if you get a flat tire in a car going 500 miles an hour. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and this, unfortunately, the the tire was just the beginning of it. You know, I, mm-hmm. I mean, you heard all the steps that happened here in order and what happened. You know, just the uh, the progression of this accident. And that's the way it is with a lot of these accidents. Uh, there's sure. one minor thing that happens, and then that just snowballs into this this catastrophe. Mm-hmm. And so, one thing after the other. Yeah, exactly. But now, surprisingly enough, that wasn't what uh, halted the flight to the Concorde. Um, what happened was it was just a, 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 a big mix of things. Um, it, and really, uh, they list other factors as one, one of mm-hmm. the things. So that could be anything, really. But, sure, that um, could be internal disagreements exactly, or something. Exactly. But um, there was also some major... Um, uh, major plane renovations, I guess, or major mm-hmm. plane upgrades that were coming their way. Um, based on the crash information, they had to fix, you know, what was wrong with the tires there. Mm-hmm. Um, they had to fix, you know, the possibility of that happening again. So yeah. they did that. Then there was the, uh, the the economic effects from September 11th, 2001. And um, I guess, you know, that was kind of on the horizon for them as well and I, I don't know if they actually did it or didn't do it but um, it was going to cost to get it was tens of millions of dollars of upgrades for these planes um, and it just wasn't something that was economically feasible and the, the company mm-hmm. went under uh, Branson um, offered to offered to purchase the the airliners he wanted to buy a couple of these we're talking Richard Branson yeah exactly Richard Branson and um, was it Virgin Airlines is that right uh, yeah, Virgin Airlines, yeah. also um, Virgin Mobile, I believe. Yeah, he um, he offered to buy these things, and uh, they, they, you know he was denied um, for whatever price he was asking. I don't remember, but uh-huh. um, anyways, it, it worked its way out that you know the the, the company went under. The Concords are no longer flying. Mm-hmm. The ones that are out there, you know, some are in some have been pieces have been auctioned off. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they're kind of parted out and made a lot of money for charities and things. Um, other airplanes, you know, that there's one that's at least one that's. Um, still in condition to be flown um they're trying to keep it really yeah it's in a museum somewhere Oh, okay um and the rest are just kind of shells you know that have been assembled Mm -hmm. here and there there's probably i mean i'm sure there are others that are in various conditions states of condition um but you know to get a whole list of all 14 it's kind of rough so (laughs) do you think that this sort of technology would become available in this sort of way again i kind of do I really do. I think uh, I think people people like this when it was around. Yeah. Um, they were always busy. They always had. Well, I wouldn't say they always had a full full load, but maybe they did. Um, I think towards the end there were maybe some times when I know they said that they could be profitable even if they were halfway full. But I mm. believe I believe they typically sold out every flight. Yeah, um, even it, at that price. Yeah, if there was that's what I was going to say. If there was a way to take the price down, if there was sort of a you know a Ryanair mm-hmm. or a JetBlue mm-hmm. of of these kind of things. Um, I think the advantages of speed would far outweigh um, the exotic nature or the initial cost. Sure, and if you've only got one or two planes operating, it, it comes down to that yeah. exclusivity thing again. Yeah. Where you know the rock stars are going to be taking this, the sports stars are going to be taking this, um, you know, celebrities. Mm. I don't know how much more I really have on this, but yeah, I, I tell you, I I mean, I I know that we just did a a quick overview of this thing and sure. and. You know, it's worthwhile to to look into it and just read kind of the history of this thing because mm-hmm. it's really a fascinating plane. There's a lot more to it than what Ben and I are talking about here sure. today. Um, you know, this is the case with a lot of our topics. I I fully invite you know just please go out and investigate it for yourself and, mm-hmm. and you know find out some more details about it because it's really a, it's really a cool thing and hopefully 
I mean, I, I think that there's there's room for this in the future. I think you're right. Well, we All got right. we we hope you really uh, we hope you got something out of this episode. Um, we love listener mail. You want to do some more? I would love to. All right, Scott. Brandon writes in, and she says he was listening to the podcast on uh, the Pikes Peak robot, the robotic Audi, and uh, he he wondered what would happen if the Pikes Peak car won the entire race. Uh, who or what would take the prize and the recognition for the win? He also said he likes the fu- podcast, finds us informal and funny. Ah, very good question. Yeah. Who would take the who would take the uh, the, the, the crown? I guess the yeah. uh, the trophy. Who gets yeah. the credit? Uh, the I engineers, the the technicians who put the thing together. Does sure. Audi, as a company, take the uh, mm-hmm. take the victory? That's strange. I, I would imagine uh, that it would be the lab group that was assembled to do it. They would they would probably take, they would probably get a group picture with the car, and that would be part of their recognition. <laughs> and this is this is the one thing that that I, I felt bad because I was you and I were joking around and we joked about how I was really old or something or much older than I am mm-hmm. and so Brandon also asked is it true that one guy is 50 something he sounds like he's 20 or even 30 um, anyway <laughs> uh, yeah Brandon I'm sorry that was my poor attempt at humor I am uh, 60 I'm, yeah I'm 60 I wish that I had the skin of a 50 year old man <laughs> But I've just been in the sun too long. No, we're kidding with you, Brandon. Um, I am between 20 or even 30. And uh, not 50 yet, but hopefully I'll make it there. As always, uh, thanks for listening. If you have any ideas for topics or any particularly good jokes that you've heard or anything about the Concord, anything at all, please send us an email at highspeedstuff@howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at howstuffworks.com. And be sure to check out the High Speed Stuff blog on the howstuffworks.com homepage. diabetes just got easier the powerful new dexcom g7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks and because dexcom g7 is the most accurate cgm system you can be confident in your food exercise and medication decisions and all those decisions can lead to big results like more time in range and lower a1c get started at dexcom.com dexcom data on file 2023 if your glucose alerts and readings from the g7 do not match symptoms or expectations use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions for a list of compatible devices visit dexcom.com compatibility Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.